Welcome to Big Time Adulting, the podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray, and I'm here to take it deep with you on adulthood, womanhood, motherhood, and whatever other things end in hood that we can think of. It's going to be real, it's going to be honest, and we are going to laugh until a little pee comes out. If you've been looking to find a podcast to relate to as a woman and a mom, and you're kind of awesome, which you definitely are, subscribe now. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. I am here today with a very special guest, somebody who I've been hunting down to come on social, I mean, to come on this podcast with me via social media, Um, Dr. Kieran Schnack. She is a clinical psychologist and specializes in health anxiety. She has over 18 years of experience working in clinical mental health settings, including inpatient and outpatient clinical services. She undertook her clinical training in 2004 at the prestigious University of Oxford. Um, She's an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society, which is a title given as a recognition of several years experience and contribution to the field of clinical psychology. She's worked with both children and adults in the NHS, within private health care, with schools, with local authorities, and with the family courts. So uh, highly qualified, clinical psychologist here. And I speak a lot about my health anxiety on my social media page. And I came across her via, I guess, like um, the Explore page, Dr. Kieran. And she goes by Dr. Kieran on her social and I'll link that. But um, welcome. Here she is. Thank you for having me. And wow, what an introduction. Um, you know, sometimes when you've been uh, doing your job a long time, you sometimes have this, I, I know nothing. So that sounded like, <laughs> oh gosh, you're talking about me. I should know all these things from all this um, uh, years experience and expertise. But yes, uh, it's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you're here. I think this is going to be a really helpful episode, not just for me, but for a lot of my listeners, because I know each time I sort of bring it up, uh, on whatever I'm thinking about at the time where where I go with my health anxiety. So many people write back to me and they can relate to what I'm saying and what I'm feeling. So um, I guess we'll I'll start off. I have some questions prepared for you. And, um, you know, how did you become to specialize in health anxiety? And would you, is that how you would classify yourself as a health anxiety specialist or that's your area of interest? And yeah, so I, I do I do call myself a health anxiety expert because I am one. Um, yeah. How it happened many years ago, um, actually as a trainee psychologist, one of the first patients I ever saw had health anxiety. It was a very new thing to me at that time. And since then, uh, I've seen lots of people here and there scattered, you know, in inpatient settings, the extreme end of health anxiety where people have developed a you know, really uh, severe mental, you know, mental health issues because of it. But more recently, in the last decade, I work, I work in a medical practice. So people come in for diagnostic tests, second, third, fourth opinions. And so we have a medical team of doctors that um, see these people and spot them. So we end, we've ended up with a very high density of people that are coming because they're dissatisfied with testing elsewhere or they're not happy so we're the kind of place you might go to as a second option so by default we end up with lots of people 
with uh, health anxiety issues. So in the last um, uh, 10 years, I've seen, um, uh, you know, it's pretty much what we say in, you know, in England, we say, well, it's my bread and butter um, yeah. of day-to-day work. Yeah. So that's we, how it's happened, yeah. We say that in the States too. Oh, sorry. I was just that's okay. Yeah, it's, bread <laughs> it's my bread um, and butter. Uh, no, yeah. but like, yeah. I, it's that's amazing because... Um, I was just thinking what a great program that is, because I think that's what happens. I mean, you have this inclination, just, I have, I have an anxious feeling about this health issue. I better go get it checked out. Let me get it checked out. Let me get it checked out. And I found, cause I'm guilty of doing that myself, but no, no doctor, no medical doctor has ever said, maybe it's your anxiety, Caitlin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I always feel like, all right, once I, if I, I can take though, I can, I can accept the diagnosis for the most part, like if it's, everything is fine, you know, like the test came back negative or something like that, I can breathe and move on. But I know that there's, there have been times where I'm like, well, what if they missed, you know, this or that? Um, And I think like, I'm a lot, I've said this, I'm a long time health anxiety sufferer. And most people that assume that it started for me after my son became sick with leukemia, which was in 2016. But to be honest, I think I've had health anxiety my whole life. I can remember as a kid being worried about dying from cancer. And Mm. um, so I just wondered maybe if you could talk a little bit where anxiety is born out of and if it's a learned thing or the result of some kind of a a trauma or just something we're destined for um, that's in our genetic makeup. What's your? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I, you know, I don't think it's something that we're we're destined for. Um, there are known reasons for health anxiety, obviously that have been researched, but then also in my clinical experience, and I ran them down to about five to seven things. Usually, I can think is one of these things. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of people uh, that suffer from health anxiety. The prevalence is between, on average, between one to five percent. Although there was a Chinese study in which 28% of health science students had health anxiety. That's a very, very high, obviously, rating. Uh, It can be higher in in those populations of medical people. I see nurses and doctors. But, you know, generally speaking, something has happened to make the person feel vulnerable to something. So there's been some threat to their integrity, their safety, stability, their security. And it might not be a health threat. There might have been something that happened to somebody close to them, a life stressor that triggered symptoms. It can sometimes be the way that someone has responded to a particular set of symptoms. So they've behaved in a way that might have maintained their symptoms. So they're in one category. So that would be somebody who had, let's say, tingling develop in their fingers. And they started to Google that and then started to ask for reassurance. And then they've got stuck in a pattern of behavior that maintains the health anxiety. So that would be health anxiety that's come due to the symptom experience. So that's that's one type of, of cause. Um, you know, something else, you know, is that people have, you know, something has happened to influence or firm up their beliefs about health, death, disease, um, and it's something along the lines of tolerance and their ability to tolerate doubt. Something's happened to shape how much attention you pay to illness and to your body. You know, sometimes that can be so many different things. It might be witnessing an illness in a loved one. It might be that, you know, sometimes it's something horrible or abusive has happened to that person. Sometimes it might just be a minor thing uh, that's happened, but it's made that person pay attention to their body. 
um, and, and how fragile the body is, you know, something, something's happened to me, see how fragile your body is or somebody else is. Also being overprotected as a child, um, you know, when you're growing up, some parents overprotect their children from uh, knowledge of illness, disease or death. These things can be a factor or having an anxious overly you know parent who worries too much about lots of things so there's mm-hmm. so many different reasons but they broadly fall into those kind of that kind of bunch of, of issues if that if that makes sense yeah yeah I mean I worry about that myself a lot because of the way that I am parenting now like mm-hmm. um with my son who he's cured you know he's not actually considered cured yet because he has he's not five years post treatment but in my mind for you know I'll intents and purposes he's cured um he you know he doesn't have an anxiety at all about his illness as of yet but i could see that potentially developing in the future and how to handle that i really try to stay matter of fact about everything that he's been through with him and you know i give him the information but i do not dramatize it because i know that that would freak me out if i were him um yeah So it's just, it's interesting. I wonder if you see these like health anxiety develop in certain types of people or if it's doesn't discriminate, it's all types of people. Um, I think it affects everybody from all different um, walks of life. So there's not a particular type of person, but to me it wouldn't it's not rocket science or a mystery when someone comes and they've got health anxiety you know i'm asking them a questions and do an assessment i think aha you know i know why this person's got this problem it mm. makes perfect sense usually it makes per- perfect sense to the person it might not make sense at that point because they've not they've not been they don't have that insight yet but it makes sense to me why this has happened to to this person um, and why it's happened now. One of the other causes that I haven't, I, ha- I hadn't mentioned is, you know, sometimes life is going really well and everything seems too good to be true. This is another trigger. Um, having a child with an illness is a trigger, even though you say yours is, you know, yours predates. Just becoming a parent can be a trigger for people. Mm. Um, that you have these people, uh, little people, depending on you, and your. Um, need to stay alive and well is uh, suddenly uh, much more precious than it was before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. I think maybe some things that might have happened to me as a kid might have triggered that feeling of like loss of control or safety in my life in a way that like my parents uh, separated and it was unexpected for me. And I was like, mm. oh, my God, I can't believe this has happened, you know. Mm. Um, but I th- it even predates that. And I'm thinking maybe it was a childhood move that I didn't want. I didn't want to happen. We moved. And I was like, oh, my God, my life has yeah. turned up. But that's so, you know, basically trivial in the grand scheme of things. But who knows if that those are like triggers for long term. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, triggers can be something really small uh you know sometimes people say i'm looking for this really big trauma but sometimes you know if i sometimes use emdr in treating health anxiety and the purpose of emdr is to trace back to an unprocessed memory that relates to the current disturbance sorry can you tell what is what's emdr uh, emdr stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing so it's a treatment that is used in treating trauma or overwhelming experiences 
So it's, it's great for health anxiety. There's 30 years of evidence for its effectiveness with trauma. And, you know, we call it the gold standard treatment because of how good it is. It's better than CBT. And it's effective with people whose health anxiety results from some overwhelming life experience. And to give you an example, somebody might say to me that I'm really, uh, you know, I, I'm checking myself a lot. I'm testing myself a lot. I constantly think that I've got breast cancer. I'm, I'm checking my breasts. They're inflamed. I just can't stop. I, I just, it feels out of control. I might mm -hmm. say, well, you know, when else have you felt that feeling of being so out of control? So we're using a lot of questions in the assessment to try and get to. So I'll ask, well, what's your earliest memory of feeling like that? And they might say, oh, when I was younger and, uh, you know, I fell off my bike and I was by myself yeah. in the garden because my parents were at work and I didn't know what to do and I was bleeding. So, but the injuries weren't severe, but that was a, an incident. We can trace it back to that because it's the start of feeling that I need to be in control. So sometimes it's not yeah. a huge thing. For some people, there is a big thing. It might be mm -hmm. violence, divorce, uh, abuse. It can be so many different things but um we're not looking for um uh, some major explanation we can say it can be quite a small thing it just mm -hmm. is that that thing is unprocessed and because it's unprocessed it continues to cause disturbance mm -hmm. the unprocessed material lives in a different memory network to the rest of the material in your mind so mm -hmm. if it's unprocessed it, it's like it's glitching it keeps causing a problem but when it's processed it's gone through your brain it's filed away it can't have an influence anymore. So it's usually something EMDI is finding unprocessed memories that mm. link with current disturbance. And we use rapid eye movement to process oh. the memory. Yeah. And then How do you uh, track the eye movement for that? Like what what's the process? Um so I'll show you actually if you can Ooh. um so I would just have my fingers on the screen here. So if you look at my fingers, we just go like this. So if you just keep yeah. your head still and yeah, so I just move my fingers from left to right at quite rapid speed and you just move from left to right with your eyes. And it's the same kind of eye movements that you have during REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. We also might use a light on a screen and ask the person to follow the light from left to right. It's what we call bilateral stimulation, stimulation from two, two sides. And this, this is what triggers the uh, processing to take place. And that's why we use that. So you're uh, asking before, questions simultaneously as you're having people do this or it's just... No, just we start off asking the questions first. So you, uh -huh. you might come with me with a certain problem. I'll ask you lots of questions um, and we build a, you know, if we're certain that that relates to an unprocessed memory, we find mm -hmm. the memory and usually we try to go for the absolute worst thing. So we're not, you know, it's like uh, uh, one of the metaphors that they give you in EMDR training, it's temping bowling. If you find the pin at the front, which is the absolute worst thing, you will mm -hmm. take the other things down with it. So we're always going for the worst uh, experience of, of that. And mm -hmm. then we will uh, go through that, ask questions about the specific. And so I might ask you, what does it make think about yourself now? Mm -hmm. uh, what would you rather think? What, mm -hmm. what do you feel in your body when you're talking about it? And usually people mm -hmm. feel some physical reaction. So they might get a tight chest or they might sweat. And then, um, you know, we pick out the worst image relating to that experience. So if it's a car accident, there might be one particular image. So we start, I say, bring up the image and then follow my fingers. And then we follow like there's, a, there's, there's, there's kind of eight phases to it. So we follow mm -hmm. through that and then we keep going until we've um, 
finished processing and um the thing is um it, you know patients say it's gone i don't know what's happened it's just gone um, wow so i gotta get uh, in there <laughs> yeah you do you yeah. do have to get in there there is an emdr association in the in the states that has a list oh, cool. of uh, uh, recognized practitioners but yes do get in there it's a very powerful uh treatment uh actually so that's really my- cool i've never even heard of it and um it's interesting because you know i think what you're saying with the symptoms and that sort of thing, the the physical manifestations of anxiety that pop up, the tingling, the tightening of the chest and the things that we feel, or maybe a headache or those sorts of things that are symptoms of anxiety that also make you think that you're something's wrong with you. So it's like the snowballing effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is, see, I think that my, my health anxiety, even though I mean, maybe I'm just processing it differently now because I'm an adult and I can think about it more like intellectually or something like that. Um, but I feel like it's worse because of how aware I am. Like I, I think in the past I could have maybe brushed it off or rolled with it more or not held on to the feeling for so long, but what you're saying like makes a lot of sense as well. When you have children, when life becomes more precious, there's more to lose. Things are higher stakes that mm. it feels more heavy. Yeah. And there's more of a sense of responsibility, isn't there, on you that you have to make sure. And some parents say to me, it will be my fault. If I, if I don't check and something happens, mm-hmm. it will be my fault that my children don't have a parent. Yeah, I'll be to blame. Yeah. And, and or if I don't check something for them, oh, if I, if, you know, them. if I missed yeah. them or something on them. I mean, because I'll do it with everyone in my life, my family members, my husband, my yeah. kids. I'm like, we got to get that checked out. Get that checked out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's the right thing to do. You know, or if you're checking your child's temperature twenty times a day for no reason, that's not that's not okay. Right. Um, but you know, it's the right thing to do. And people sometimes think that my my job isn't to tell people not to seek medical uh, medical advice. I always say new and concerning symptoms need to be medically excluded. So we need mm-hmm. to get things checked out. It's if that symptom there's no medical cause and you're you remain preoccupied or concerned or you're terrified of developing a disease in the absence of any actual uh, symptoms or evidence you know then it's moved into the realm of health anxiety it's not mm-hmm. always and you know, it's always sensible to get checked out new and concerning symptoms and patients yeah. always ask me what what's normal what do normal people do well you know how often do they and as a rule in the where I work in the medical practice, if we have a patient that we know they have health anxiety, we don't um, we don't allow uh, you know tests. The doctors are in charge of when, if, and when they should have further testing. Mm. And usually, you know, if there's a new and concerning symptom that doesn't settle within two weeks, depending on what the symptom is, you know, this is kind of sometimes what we recommend to them. Um, yeah. So they're yeah, not. That's- yeah. That's right. It's a, and then to be able to like let go of that feeling of anxiety while you're experiencing that symptom, maybe immediately or something and say, chill the fuck out. Maybe it won't be here in a week and I don't need to worry about this right now. And will this feeling of worry that I'm carrying ever change the outcome of what is going to happen? Like, I'm either going to die from something or I'm not, or I'm going to be totally healthy or I'm going to have something that I can, you know, cure or fix or, you know, treat. And will the feeling that I'm experiencing have any contribution to the eventual outcome of that? Right. And I, that's what I always tell myself. I'm like, the answer is no, let this feeling go. 
And, does that work? Um, it does, does now that, yeah. because yeah. I can like, I be, because I'm so aware of the fact that I am prone to just jumping to the worst case scenario immediately, mm-hmm. you know, with yeah. things. So I think that because I know that I do that, that I can say, all right, stop, you know, take a breath, which yeah. is why I'm not in therapy like regularly, because I think I ca- I have managed to, even though I still feel those feelings, uh-huh. I don't, I'm not holding on to them as tightly as I was like a year ago or two, two years ago. Um, yeah. That's great that you're not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think COVID, it's funny people, I say like I was at my worst during um, COVID, but it wasn't because I was really afraid of COVID because I knew intellectually if I got COVID that I'm a healthy person who's not in a high risk category of dying from COVID. And same with my children and that kind of thing. But it was the whole turning upside down of my life again, which was that really triggered me to feel, I think, out of control and crazy anxious about health things. But it was more like, oh my God, I have a brain tumor. Not, yeah. 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 So and that's about sense of control, isn't it? I've not got control, but we mm-hmm. can control the attention that we turn to our bodies. We can control how often we scan our bodies and think about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, you know, for a lot of people, it is a control issue because that control makes them feel more safe, secure, and stable when something else horrible is happening yeah yeah and I think at that point in my life I absolutely should have been seeing somebody to talk about this because it it was out it felt out of my control it was something I was worrying about daily and I did go to like three neurologists to (laughs) just to make sure that I didn't because I actually had a I had an actual eye condition that changed my vision in one of my eyes which was like stress related but I convinced myself that it was a tumor because I had an aunt and a cousin who had brain tumors and it was just, you know, Uh, it makes sense why, but the feeling of anxiety was so great for me. Um, that, so, but then, so I guess my, my, I have a question written here that says like, when should people seek treatment? When is it like, okay, this is too, this is out of control. You need to get into see somebody. Yeah. I think it's up to the person that, you know, when it starts to cause them, distress that they can't manage anymore and it starts to take over their life and when Mm. they've established behaviors to manage the fear that have become problematic you know Mm. some people I see just as their health anxiety is just emerging they may not even know that they have it and one of the doctors will say look you you're not having any more tests you have health anxiety you know other people have had it for 30 or 30 years the person I saw who's the oldest had had it for 35 years but I think as soon as it starts to interfere with your life and cause you distress and it's not manageable by yourself, I think it's sensible to seek help. I think a lot of people are let down sometimes by the medical, uh, their doctors, because many people I see say, nobody's told me that that's what I've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the doctor would just tell me that's what I've got, it would make me feel better. And I think sometimes doctors want to help people and think the person wants to be tested so I'll send them for some more testing mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. we'll do this but because we're very self-anxiety health anxiety aware in the clinic I work in we, it happens a lot less but I think uh, I would say though that at that point it's um, a good time for people to seek help if they can and the help's not easy to get as we know yeah yeah, yeah. I think that the continual testing and and uh, it perpetuates 
you know, yeah. the problem in a lot in, in a lot of ways for people. And sometimes you just need a little validation. Like you can't control every health problem also, you know, like, is this no. really going to make a di- difference in a week or something like that? Um, but I, you know, you said there is a, this, the, it's EMDR is the treatment you, you mentioned, but so with, uh, with patients, I have two questions for you, actually. This is sort of a two-part thing. It's about like coping strategies, but I, what something you said earlier made me think of, you know, for somebody like me, who's already like, you know, elbows deep in health anxiety, I don't want my kids to be feeling that, that sort of way. And, and that, that you said that it can be triggered by this, um, you know, a small, like a trivial experience that made a child feel scared or out of control or something like that what kind of tools can we give our kids uh, to cope with those feelings as little people um, or things that we can say to them to help them feel not like everything's always going to be okay, but to be able Mm -hmm. to handle those sorts of feelings. Yeah. That's a great, great question. And I think, you know, there are things that we can do, but parenting doesn't come with a, a handbook, does it? And especially not for situations if your child's been through something frightening. What mm. are you supposed to say? And the processing that happens in EMDR is for memories and experiences that are unprocessed. But when they're happening at the time, we can help our kids process those things mm-hmm. so they don't stay unprocessed. So an example would be, you know, you have to talk about it. You know, some parents... Mm. Um, uh, afraid to talk about it because they don't want to upset the child so I would say asking you know if something's happened to your child what you know how do you feel about what's happened what are your feelings about it they might say I'm scared and then mm-hmm. validating that well you know what happened to you is really scary what were you scared of so then they can tell you what they were scared of going to die or scared you weren't gonna I wasn't gonna see you again gosh that's really frightening thought but I'm here and you're fine and you're safe and it's over now and I'm with you and everything's everything's you know uh, better Uh, we're not in that place anymore or if things are not completely better that we're getting better and we're getting you know help and just like kind of processing through the experience and keeping that conversation going that can be really helpful for children um yeah and I I think for parents sorry yeah No, yeah, just like this all makes me think of other things, like just the importance of not living in fear of the worst case scenario all the time and not, you know, catastrophizing everything because that's just such a a bad way to live your life. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's tough. You can't be living in that mental space all the time because there are no guarantees, you know, and that's like the thing that your mind will go back to, like, but what if, what if this did happen? Or, you know, I fell off my bike and I got really scared that maybe a car was going to hit me when I was down in the road or something, whatever. Um, and that you can't let go of that, but it's like, that you can't say that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because sometimes those things do happen, but it's like, we cannot live in that mindset. That is not a good mindset to live in. Let that go, you know, like free yourself of, yeah, the worst and case scenario. Yeah, and that's something that people struggle with a lot. And people that struggle with worst case scenarios, something actually has happened that was a worst case scenario. So why would I not think that that thing is going to happen to me again? 
yeah it, it makes sense and that's exactly the kind of thing what emdr will deal with but if we if you know there are people that are what if what if what if constantly what if is what mm. is that and but, you know for those sometimes i see children i say well make make me a table and write on your table the what if in the left hand column what if today my mummy doesn't pick me up from school or what if today my you know daddy dies of a heart attack and then in your next column i want you to write yes or no if it happened you know they end up with a lot and glue another piece of paper to the bottom and next time bring that with you and they come with a really long list and it's obviously all no's it might be the odd yes so we say the proportion of what if there's a, is this big but the amount that you need to worry about or what if there's about this big so mm -hmm. it's about it's about just bringing that into its actual size what how big does this distress over these things that may or may not happen need to be and sometimes the mind needs that training to show it that actually it doesn't need to worry that much about some of these things uh, when you picture a wife that is really scary mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. brain becomes all almost traumatized and overwhelmed like it thinks oh my gosh this person's had such an emotional reaction to that i better remind them again of this really important stuff so it will present mm -hmm. that another what if to you and say oh great this is really good important stuff we'll just keep showing it can become quite a habitual pattern of thinking as well mm -hmm. as uh, being so you know sometimes it's about breaking them patterns down as you say and saying well on this occasion it didn't happen and you're right bad things actually you know life is shit sometimes isn't it sorry to swear on your no on your i show. swear all the time I'll do you, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, bad stuff does happen and there's no guarantee that nothing's going to happen to me to you or to anybody else but right now nothing bad is happening so we can just be in a state of calm and enjoy our lives and if and when mm. does something happen we'll we'll meet it and deal with mm. it in whatever way we need to but yeah. health anxiety sucks the life away from people. You can't even live um, and enjoy life because of that. It's as if it's almost worse for people when they get a diagnosis. So this is actually better than having health anxiety. I've been a prisoner for years, and now yeah. I have this thing. It's not. As, it's just the thing that, um, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, really yeah, that at least we can, like, you're actively treating something or doing something. I mean, I felt this sense of security when my son was in treatment, and then, you know, they go off of treatment or a treatment changes or something. And that's when your anxiety really can ramp up because, you know, you feel like you're not, you no longer have something that you're actually dealing with right now. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's, it's wild that way. It's funny. My husband like yeah. does not have the, the, he doesn't hold, he, he might get like worried about things and stuff, but I don't think he holds on or harbors like the anxiety the way that I do. Um, so if he says anything about like the kids over like, well, what if that gets, you know, infected or something? I'm like, no, this is my job to be like, you're going to, you have to be the one that says it's going to be okay. Like, don't, don't you get catastrophizing here. There's only room for one of us to do that around this place. <laughs> and do you think that when he does that, it makes you part of you think, oh gosh, this must be serious because he never does that. Maybe this is something. It completely adds to my uh, cumulative anxiety over things. I'm like, if he's worried about it, I should be really worried about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so like we kind of, we did sort of touch on or so the coping strategy we said you talk about talk about things with your kids like you know talk about you know the the 
the small amount of times that things actually, the worst case scenario does come true, that sort of thing. Um, what are other coping strategies that you, is that the same kids and adults, but just like, you know, age appropriate language pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was something else I wanted to come back to that you, I think you asked the double question that, you know, parents that have anxiety, that worry that they'll pass anxiety onto their children. Yeah. And that's another talking point because sometimes your kids know, even if you think that they don't, they they sometimes do know or they pick up on certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a child might say, Mummy, why are you checking your temperature so many times? Oh, no, I'm not. I just checked it once. Or, you know, th- th- that child has seen you check it yesterday and the day before. It's better to say, oh, you know, my mind sometimes plays tricks on me and makes me think there's something wrong when there actually isn't. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's honest. an anxiety thing. And this is what anxiety you know, explain to them. That's yeah. much better for the child and they're less likely to develop the similar problem than if it stays mysterious and they don't know what's going on. Then they yeah. internalize that bodies are unsafe, need to keep checking and need to keep focusing. But just give an explanation if, if, if your child sees something, tell them what's happening and why or, you know, um, uh, otherwise they're dealing with the unknown and it's uncertainty which right. is whole, intolerable in health anxiety so give certainty all the time if you can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I'm down with that honesty is the best policy and just being straightforward and matter matter of fact and stuff with with my kids is which which way I try to go I mean I see my son he's like um very much like a people pleaser like so if I'm getting um, like say it's the morning and we're trying to get out of the door and I'm all ramped up and I'm like, you know, get your shoes on going crazy. And it's time crunch and stuff. I see my son sort of try to launch into this like role of helping and like, you know, be the kid that doesn't get in trouble for anything and help, you know, he I can see him getting anxious that I'm getting anxious, that kind of thing. Like he's empathizing, but also it's making him anxious. So I just try to talk to him and not just with me, like with all different situations, he does this, but about feeling like he needs to make other people feel a certain way, you know, like you don't have to do that, honey. That's not your responsibility about how that person feels. Like, I love how kind you are and caring and thoughtful of other people's feelings, but you can't control the situation. Don't try yeah. to. It's not yeah. good for you, you know, sort uh-huh. of. It, it sounds like it doesn't. Sometimes children don't like seeing the adult distressed and they want to no. take the distress. Don't like seeing you like that. If I can help you stop feeling like that, I'll do my best. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. I mean, I try to, like, I, I try to keep you know, my voice steady and, and that kind of things with the kids, but inevitably we all like, we'll lose our shit once in a while. You know, it's just yeah, one of those yeah, things yeah, that happens do, and yeah. got to go back uh, and apologize. And Yeah, we do. I'm definitely, I'm a psychologist, but I'm a parent and uh, we lose our shit and I have teenagers. You do, you know, that you're yeah. a human being, you know, we get shouty sometimes or we uh, say or do the wrong thing. It's, um, it's not, it's not, it's not black and white. Yeah, I didn't ask you if you were a mom. How many kids do you have? Uh, two. Uh, okay. Two boys. Yeah. Two boys, yeah. and, and they're teenagers. You said so. How yeah. do you feel about the teen years as opposed to the toddler years? I think I think the teen years are more complex, uh, Caitlin. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's good. We we the kids are good, but it's 
it's different. And sometimes my husband laughs and says, you know, to think that we found the baby stage intense. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is a whole yeah. new it's a whole different ball game being a, yeah, a yeah. teenagers yeah 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 everybody um, the, the the very popular saying bigger kid bigger problem well i think that the development during the first three years when a baby is learning to talk and walk and speak is uh quite turbulent uh, changes in the brain but the mm-hmm. changes during adolescence in the brain are much more turbulent than that mm-hmm. early phase but they're not acquiring new physical skills so it's all it's all going on inside their body, their brain. Yeah, it's, it's quite. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's been it's been good, but it's definitely different to um, dealing with yeah. toddlers. It makes yeah. but whatever your situation is feels harder, doesn't it, when you're in it and uh, it's temporary. And then when you look back and think, oh, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Maybe maybe there's some. Uh, I was a very well behaved teen who was you know I'm crazy now, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my brother was a wild and crazy teen, but my kid, I mean, I'm just feeling I'm hitting a sweet spot right now because my youngest is three and then I have six and eight year olds. And so I love this phase so much more because of the physical exhaustion and frustration that goes along with, uh, little babies and toddlers is so intense yeah. That you're just, you're wiped out, you know, oh, yeah. physically wiped out. But um, so I'm so grateful to be in this, you know, sweet spot that occurs before the teen years. The kids are still little and yeah. that they're just so much more independent. It's lovely. Yeah. Well, you'll sleep more when they're teenagers because they quite like their sleep as well. So yeah, um, yeah. it gets better with exhaustion. Yeah, at um, least you have at <laughs> least you have the uh, the the rest to to take on some of those uh, those tougher mental issues, right? Um, so I like. All right, I I kind of went through most of the questions that I had, and I don't want to be repetitive or something, but you know. Um, there's this whole thing where I feel like, you know, I was right about my son's diagnosis. I'm the one who said, I think he has cancer. He needs blood work. I was told the doctor said he didn't need blood work originally and that sort of thing. And then, you know, three days later, we're in the emergency room getting, getting ready for a bone marrow biopsy. So I know that that is not um, a likely scenario. And I've even, the doctor who who said that my son didn't need blood work originally has since apologized to me and everything. And I was like, you know what, that's good. I, I understand that you would have been right 99% of the time and that this 1% of the time I was right. Right. So yeah, it's fine. I get it. Um, but like, what do you think the healthy ways are for somebody who's maybe been right about some sort of um, health premonition to not continually feel like, you know, they know what that something's wrong and they have to get it. Mm, yeah, yeah, sourced. that's a good, great question. And actually, a lot of people I see do have a health condition. You know, they've had cancer or they've had some other condition um, or somebody they know that has had a condition. And sometimes, you know, as we say, things bad things do happen. Mm. Um if that's happened, a healthy way to move forward from that is traumatic, isn't it? As medical uh, trauma for somebody going through that experience of not being um, taken seriously or not being believed or 
having to really fight to find out what's wrong. And I think that just firms up your belief about health and vulnerability and mm. illness. And it firms up your behaviors that I need to, I need to keep watch because nobody else is or the body is fragile because of this that's happened and I was right. So for mm -hmm. something like that, you know, I, I would class that as a traumatic experience. So I would say that's just something, you know, a healthy way to move forward from that is to treat that as a trauma mm -hmm. and help process the content of that trauma and then be able mm -hmm. to move forward from that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the other alternative is we live a life where we think the likelihood of that is very, very certain to happen all day, every day. And then we're in that prison of anxiety again. So mm -hmm. I think a healthy way to move past is to process that trauma but it's it's mm. sad it does happen and a lot of the patients I see that have had cancers you know mostly they're having EMDR to treat them treat mm. the you know the experience of the cancer from when they were given the diagnosis to when they were having treatments it's certain flash images that still cause and they can get and they just can't yeah. live their life because every day they're concerned with it happening again yeah. or something happening to somebody else so um, there isn't anything, you know, there are, you know, there's sometimes things you can say to people as coping strategies go, how many times has it happened, the feelings are not fat, these kind of strategies or things that we see on, on social media, it's not that simple sometimes, mm -hmm. you really have to get underneath what's happened and treat the person, but there are other coping strategies that people, you know, people can use to try and um, help themselves, so I say health anxiety is something that you do, not mm -hmm. what you have. Because it's mm. one of them things, like other conditions, like, you know, um, uh, sometimes obsessional behavior. We do checking, we do monitoring, we do avoidance, we do research, we do reassurance seeking, mm -hmm. um, we do self-monitoring, we do, we do what we're doing. You know, one of the uh, really great strategies to cope is to try to reduce the things that you do, stop the doing bit of health anxiety. Um, that's a... Yeah, a good, um, if I can say anything tangible and useful, you know, obviously people can talk to their, uh, someone talk to their GP or healthcare provider, they can ask for support from family and friends. Most people come to my social media page because they want to know what to do to help themselves and many people don't have access to help or they can't afford it. And um, the reason for starting the page is to provide reliable, accessible, quick information and advice about health anxiety that might give people that education that they need. But if you are going to seek treatment, you know, for something that has become more serious and you want to find someone who's got expertise in health anxiety, because non-specific therapeutic input does not work. There is no evidence for its effectiveness, counselling, psychotherapy. Uh, these treatments don't have any effectiveness for health anxiety I always say to people ask the person how many people they've treated what approach they normally use with HA how does it normally work how, how long can they expect it to take when you receive the right treatment uh, the average is between 8 to 20 sessions so it should mm. not take a long time and it doesn't involve mm. you having to you know talk about completely unrelated things because it's quite mm. difficult I think a lot of therapists will have a have a stab at it but it's quite a niche uh, and specific set of uh, uh, disturbances that people with health anxiety present with. So it's important to get the right help. 
Yeah. I, you know, I love your Instagram page so much. I just, like I said, I came across it basically on explore, but I just found the things that you were saying so highly relatable. And like, as a person who suffers from health anxiety, I found a couple of Instagram pages that I found to be like, Whoa, this is so super validating because, um, once you can sort of say, okay, this is a thing that people are experiencing, not just me, you know, this is, this happens to other people and this is exactly what I would do. And I'd be Googling it or might feel a little tingle and like, what is that? And that kind of thing. It's very textbook at the end of the day where you can really relate to the things, which I, I think is just, it's very helpful to know that, to put a little, like a little label on it. This is anxiety. This isn't, this is not what I'm creating in my mind for it to be. It is anxiety causing this, not, um, and I don't think I even like, I don't think I even knew anxiety could be so specific that way that it was health anxiety and that that was an actual thing. I just, you know, maybe prior to thinking about this so much would have just thought anxiety is anxiety about other things. You know, it's not. Yeah. Um, There's lots of different anxiety disorders and uh, it used to be referred to as hypochondriasis and then health anxiety. And actually mm. it's now in the diagnostic manual been renamed illness anxiety disorder. Illness but it's anxiety. not, it's not a, in our everyday lingo, it's not taken off yet. We still say health anxiety. Yeah. For people with more generalized anxiety or specific anxiety, it might be uh, not to do with health. It might be just be, you know, I'm going to be late. I'm going to miss out. I'm not going to do this. I didn't do that right. So it's just a snowball right. of, of, they start with a small ball of kind of rolls and, but it's not specific to health. But someone with health anxiety may have no qualms. It's all about being late or speaking in front of their colleague or their work things. But yeah, it's a very specific um, issue, yeah. uh, a very uh, separate um, condition. And it's much more obsessional than some of the other anxiety um, problems. Yeah, I would say I experience um, other anxieties more mildly. Um, but this, it, I feel like the health anxiety thing, because it's like, you know, mostly I assign it to like a deadly illness or something like yeah. that, that it yeah. feels like it's more important to worry about this. Like, so I've assigned my own set of importance to it because it's, it could mean life or death, like that kind yeah. of thing. Whereas being late is not life or death. Right. So I'm at yeah. least like, but yeah. do I want to be late? No, I don't want to be late. Let's go. But you know, um, it's just, it's funny that way because but with hypochondria, like that is something that people would just use very very casually, I'm a hypochondriac, you know, but I'm like, wait, I'm legit a hypochondriac. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and that there's a real, like that, that stems from an actual, you know, I mean, and I'm, this is self, I'm self-diagnosed. So I don't even know if I'm, I just assume that I am. Um, but I think there, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people are self-diagnosed uh, or they've seen therapists. I saw somebody who's seen a therapist for 10 years and not spend any time talking about their health anxiety, yeah. just talking about their uh, childhood and their relationship with their parents. But in you know, health anxiety, if it's being treated properly every week, it's what behaviors you're doing, what your thoughts are to do with that, what your traumas are related to that. We're just talking about the content of health anxiety, and that's how you know that you're yeah. receiving the right treatment. We're not talking about how your best friend made you feel or how your mum made you feel or something completely unrelated. Uh, is a yeah. very specific, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, Cause I feel like maybe the idea of uh, treatment might feel overwhelming to people, but if you can narrow it down and say, this is exactly what I need to, you know, treat, then it's easier almost. Yeah. Yeah. But EMDR, I recommend that all. To, I know it's hard to get in, in a lot of places. There's not that many people trained in it, but um, it's uh uh, it's mind-blowing uh, the the outcomes that people have from that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into it. Yeah. Well, I um, I so appreciate your time. We're five hours time difference here, so um, I don't know what you have in your day, but I know that you are very busy, and I very much appreciate you taking your time to come on the show and chat with me. And you're wonderful. Um, Thank you, Caitlin. It's been really good to come on. Thank you. Yeah, and I will be sharing your social media in the uh, show notes for anyone to find you. And um, I'll be promoting this on my page so people can find you through that as well. But just so everyone does know, it's at Dr. Kieran, which is K-I-R-R-E-N. And her her last name or as you would say your surname is schnack but on social media purposes at dr kieran right that's right yeah keep it okay. simple yeah um that's great well thank you again and um i look forward to keeping in touch with you thank you caitlin yes bye now bye Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're looking for any of the resources from the episode, you can check them out in show notes. Again, if you liked listening, I'd love it for you to subscribe. Until next time, peace out.